Thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. Stand with me this morning as we recite the Apostles' Creed together. So we tried this last weekend. I failed you miserably. So let's see if we can do it again one more time. So if you would, recite this with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Give yourself a hand. We did it. We did it. You may be seated. You may be seated. My name is Ben Chapman, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Luminous Church. And man, um, it's so such an honor to be with you this morning and be able to teach from God's Word. We are in the Apostles' Creed, and so this is a creed that has existed for over 1,500 years. It was a creed that would ground the Christian church in doctrine, and, and it was a creed to begin to rally around, and it was for all those who confess Jesus Christ as Lord, all those that confess that God is the Father, all those who believe in the Holy Spirit. This is what the creed was designed for and who it is for. And last week, we talked about the Holy Catholic Church, and that's you and me. We are the universal church, which is different than Roman Catholic. Catholic just means universal, that we're all together under the Big C Church. Everybody say Big C. Big, Big C. C Church. So we're all a part of the body of Christ. So you and, and Oak Hills and CBC and Grace Point and all these churches around us, we are part of the body of Christ with them. And it's awesome to be a part of the body of Christ. And so I, I'm thankful that we get to stand under this banner. If, if perhaps you were trying to put a label to us, trying to wonder where, where we came from. You're like, where, where did we come from? You know, so many people do Ancestor.com. Anybody do that in here? You want to know, like, just where did I come from? Who am I? Right? Well, we... Um, we are uh, Protestant. If you were wanting to know, we are Protestant. And so uh, that's what we are. And we are a non-denominational Protestant church, a part of a family of churches called Every Nation and an even smaller luminous church, an even smaller your community group that meets around a living room looking at one another. And so if you want to know what you belong to, you belong to all of that. Right? You belong to all that, which is a little overwhelming. Like, oh my gosh. And yet, awesome. Awesome that you're a part of something so, so large. Today, we're going to talk about, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 26. 
Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is reclining, hanging out with his disciples. It is the Passover feast. It means that's when that's when God um, passed over the Israelites. If you remember this and he passed over them, he didn't take their firstborn as long as they were in a house that had lamb's blood over the doorway, right over the threshold. If it, if it was right there, then I would pass by and death would pass by you and you would live. But if not, then your first son, your firstborn would be taken from that household. It was a great celebration. In fact, there was 2 million, estimated 2 million Israelites at the time, 2 million Jews at the time of this moment of the Passover. And, and they all believed that God was faithful and he saw God's faithfulness. They saw God's faithfulness over time. Have you seen God's faithfulness in your life? Maybe in your personal life, in your family, in your journey, you've seen God's faithfulness. And so that's what they were celebrating, God's faithfulness, that he spared our sons. He delivered us from Egypt. He is a deliverer, right? And so that's what we are understanding. So that's what's happening right now. That's what's happening here. Thousands of years later, they're still celebrating the Passover feast. And it says this in verse 26. Now, as they were eating, because that's what you do when it's time to party, right? Eat. I, I love that Perry Todd is here this morning. If you don't know Perry Todd, he, he is the best cook in the entire world. And so anytime you go to his house, it's Passover. It's party. And uh, it's awesome. Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness. Everybody say, Forgiveness. forgiveness. Whoa. Everybody say, Forgiveness. forgiveness. Everybody yell it in your neighbor's ear. Forgiveness. forgiveness. Of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus is sitting there. They're enjoying a Passover meal. They were supposed to talk about God's liberation of, of the Jews from the Egyptians. And Jesus flips it. He flips the switch. Isn't that what Jesus does oftentimes? He flips the switch in our life. We were going one direction and Jesus flipped the switch and we started moving into another direction. So Jesus was doing that. He was flipping the script on history. He was flipping the switch. And this is what he was saying. He was saying, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood given for you for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus didn't come for some ideology. Jesus didn't come to for, for a moment in time, but Jesus came to forgive us of our sins. And today, presently, those at Luminous Church, it's for our sins as well. In a moment, we will remember what Christ has done in the conclusion of this service with communion. It'll be a great time for us to remember what God has done and for the forgiveness of our sins. Sin is simply meaning missing the mark. 
That's simply what it means. And, and people miss the mark all the time. And some people hit the mark every time, like the Olympian in 2004, Matt Emmon. Matt Emmon was the best sharpshooter of the time, maybe even the best sharpshooter of today. And in the 2004 Athens Olympics, he was competing. He was competing. He already had one gold in this Olympics, and he was in his second event competing for his second gold, which is never done by a shooter, never done by a rifleist. Rifler? Rifleist? I don't know. Shooter. So <laughs> he was sitting there, and he was aiming, and it was his last shot. The gold was evident, and he shoots, and he, just like a marksman, hits the bullseye. Boom! Spot on. And the crowd went silent. Because you see, Matt was great at hitting the bullseye, but this time it was not his own. He hit the other person's bullseye. So from gold, he went from gold to standing on the podium to eighth place. And, and I want to encourage you, church, this morning, what I want to talk about is sin is missing the mark. And there are two sets of people in here this morning. There are those who, who know you're jacked up, right? Like, I'm jacked up, came church today, I'm half drunk, I don't even know why, but I'm here. I know I'm jacked up, I'm a sinner, I'm just going to check it out, going to give me some coffee for my morning hangover, right? So, so some of you know you're jacked up, you know you're missing the mark. Other people in here don't know you're missing the mark. There are other people in here, and what we find in this generation, in our culture, and in the Bible Belt, and in church, is you don't know that you're missing the mark. It, it looks like a bullseye, and you're hitting it, and you feel like you're right on track, but you're aiming at the wrong target. In fact, this was more me than the first, and maybe if you're the first, we're going to talk about forgiveness this morning. I think it's going to be powerful for you as you leave this morning. But for me, I was what they call the holy roller. Anybody know what a holy roller is, right? It's where, oh, yeah. it's where man, you just get, you get in the Holy Ghost, you start rolling on the floor, you're just awesome, you're perfect, and all these things, and you just, man, you think you're so amazing. My junior year of high school was a lot like this. I, I thought it was awesome. I didn't cuss, he cussed, I'm better than him, what's up? You know, me and Jesus are close. Right, I, re I remember my older brother was still trying to find his relationship with Jesus, and, and he had it very much so, but there was not, he wasn't on point all the time. And I remember there was this moment, I went with him to some party, and they were all like, woo, you know, having a good time. <laughs> and I was like, not me, man, I'm better than that, man. I'm, I'm awesome. I am awesome. And so I started just saying how awesome I was. My older brother came up to me one time, and he goes, bro. You are self-righteous and judgmental. I was like, oh, what, man? What? Huh, man? Well, whatever, dude. You too, man. See you later. <laughs> I didn't even know what self-righteous and judgmental were. I had to go look it up in the dictionary. Oh, okay. I think I'm righteous by my self-effort. I'm judging everybody because I think I'm righteous by my self-effort. And that's oftentimes what... what Christians can do if they don't understand this principle of grace and what Jesus has done. They believe that they are righteous by their self-effort. They think that they're hitting the mark, but in actuality, they're no different than the person who came in here broken and messed up and they know it. Right? Both need a Savior. Both need Jesus. 
And sin is missing the mark. Whether you're a holy roller and self-righteous or you've been out partying. And so sin, some of us take it too lightly. Some of us take it too seriously, perhaps, in some way, or focus too much on it, I should say. We've been trying to be mortal, moral citizens. We want moral children. I want Benson not to cuss and never to hit me. Like, it's wrong to hit your dad. This week, I got on to him. I got on to him, and he hit me. You ever had your kid hit you? It's like a moment like, okay, Jesus, how real are you right now? Because... <laughs> If I don't have that in perspective, something's going off right now. <laughs> Hannah be removing Benson from my home. I put him in, I put him in timeout, and I was just like, unbelievable. Unbelievable. But, but it's what we try to do is we try all these things to produce a certain behavior. We put all these regulations in place so that we would avoid sin, right? It's much like the governor on your car, right? There's a governor so you won't go past 120 miles per hour. Some of you don't like that thing, so you take it off. Others of you, it, does, it doesn't matter because you see in a 20 mile an hour school zone, you're going 35, you're going 40. You're like, I don't care if there's a governor in here. I'm going I'm to still break the law. How many of you know you can't regulate? You can't regulate behavior. You can't regulate righteousness. It is impossible. In fact, that's what so many have tried to do for so long. And what happens is sometimes we start looking at the sin. We start getting fascinated with it. Uh, we, we start getting fascinated with it. And then we fix our eyes on it. And when we find ourselves conceiving it. You see, whatever you fix your eyes on, whatever fascinates you, you'll fix your eyes on and you'll begin to have it come to conception. We see this in sin all the time. I deal with guys all the time and, and they're dealing with maybe some eye problems. What I mean by that, they're looking at pornography, right? And, and so they're looking at that and I'm like, Bro, stop it. Stop it. But if you tell yourself, stop it, you do it, right? Like, don't eat the donut. Don't eat the donut. Why am I eating the donut? Because <laughs> that's all you're looking at. <laughs> Whatever you look at, you will consume. You will consume. That's why Hebrews 12, too. The writer of Hebrews knew this so well. He said, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of your faith. If I were just to look at Jesus, then sin would be finding itself falling off of me. It would find itself falling off of me and not coming about. Forgiveness is a strong thing, and it's something that you and I need. The only thing that will eliminate sin is forgiveness. For you and me, the thing that eliminates sin is forgiveness. And we need forgiveness in our life. The enemy of forgiveness is pride, we often find. That, that when, 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 there's, when there's forgiveness about to happen, there's something that bucks up inside of us, right? It's like, ooh, ooh, I'm not doing that, right? And it becomes the enemy of forgiveness. It, it begins to do this. And pride is when you have the realization Pride, when you have the realization that, 
that this person is a person. This person is a person. This God is relational. It's easy to have pride when God is not relational, when he's far off. It's easy to have pride. It's easy to stay in your sin when people are far off from you. Right? How many of you have been on your Twitter feed this week and you've been bashing some celebrities, some politicians, right? It's like so easy to do because you don't know them. But as soon as you know them, as soon as you get in a relationship with them, then what happens? Pride starts breaking. You realize, I care about this person. I love this person. Right? And then there's forgiveness. After Benson hit me, I love him. So that night, after being mad all day and having unforgiveness, I got problems. <laughs> I went up to Miss Ali, trying to teach him another life lesson. Bro, don't hit it. That really hurt. You hurt dad's feelings. I tried to make him feel bad for his sin once again. It's so wrong. Like, really, I just forgive you, buddy. I just forgive you. Okay? Okay. <laughs> he had no idea what I was talking about anymore, but it was awesome. Forgiveness is the key to break sin off your life. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to know Him, the more you realize how much He loves you. That your pride and your walls and everything that you came in with today that is hard in keeping you from the Father, from other people, will start to fall out. God tells us that forgiveness is received through grace. In fact, it's the avenue in which forgiveness is delivered. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. In the 1500s, the church was teaching a different gospel than the one that you and I hopefully know. It's the gospel that we hope to really go out into San Antonio and build, proclaim. We hope to teach this over and over, that, that Jesus is enough. By grace you have been saved, not by works, so that no man may, may boast. There was a brave man at the time that saw the church proclaiming a different gospel. And this man started posting things on the doors. It was called the 95 Thesis. And in the 95 Thesis, here's 95 things that the church currently is saying that are not gospel, that are not true. Some of those things were like this. That priests must not threaten those dying with the penalty of purgatory. And at the time, the priests were lording things over the church and saying, and putting fear in people. Or maybe, maybe the 18th one was this. A sinful soul does not have to always be sinful. It can be cleansed. It can be cleansed. There's a soul that can be cleansed by the grace of God. But at the time, the church was saying it could not fully be cleansed. Maybe the 27th one in the 95 thesis is, it is nonsense to teach that a dead soul in purgatory can be saved by money. 
It's nonsense. So the church was making, making their wealth, making their money, paying their pastors, paying their worship leaders, building bigger buildings with money from people who were manipulated with a false gospel. In 1517, when Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses, it started changing the way people saw the gospel. He got a hold of scripture and, and we found that the Bible was being printed and people were able to read for themselves what God had said and be able to interpret that. For grace, you have been saved, not by works that no man may boast. By grace, a free gift of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is everlasting life. So we find ourselves in John chapter 8. And you're probably pretty familiar with this story. But in John chapter 8, verse 3, I'm just going to read it. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have something to charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus was able to walk with humanity for three years, teaching them such importance, the significance of forgiveness. If a woman was caught in adultery, she, by the law, deserved to be stoned. She, by the law, by the rules, by the regulations, was be, to be put to death. You see, if that's our regulatory limit, if that's what we say, then if we stone everybody who commits adultery, then there will be no adulteresses, right? That's the theory. If we were to um, penalize everybody who has done a wrong, then there will be no more people to offend in that area. But Jesus was saying this, I have come to set women like this free. He saw her brokenness, saw her state, he saw who she is. She's, he saw past the natural into the supernatural, believing Jesus is who he says he is, and he loves the way he should love, and he has forgiven sins. In Luke chapter 7, as Josh would come up, in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, there is another woman, and some believe that this may have been the woman who was 
forgiven. Who was forgiven, who had her slate wiped clean. The one whose sins were forgiven. And in verse 47, as she's sitting there right before this, she's wiping Jesus' feet. She's so grateful. Verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Forgiveness is hard to receive because sometimes our, we feel like our offense deserves penalty. We believe that our offense deserves the only way to make it right is if I work harder, do better, and, and strive longer. Then, then perhaps, then perhaps, God will love me. Then perhaps God will accept me. Jesus on the cross did all the work that you could ever do and more. Jesus on the cross when he went to Calvary two days after eating with his disciples in moments right after that a day after eating with his disciples a moment right after that as he as he goes to the cross he's saying I am paying for the world's sins the theological term substitutionary atonement that, that he became my penalty. He took on my sin. He took it upon himself and died the death that I deserve to die for the offenses that I've been living in and presented so much to the Father. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. Brandy and I celebrated eight years this past week. Thank you. And every year we make it a tradition to watch our wedding video. So we watch our wedding video late at night. We don't get sleep. It's awesome. It's like the longest wedding in the world. It was like an hour. Every, every time she asks me, do you want to watch it? No, I don't want to watch it, but I love you. I'll watch it. I love our wedding video because there's a slideshow. It's the longest slideshow ever. <laughs> and there's sweet music, and, and then you know, here comes Ben Chapman up, and then, and then a prophetic word that was spoken over my life. All that means is a moment where God was able to speak into my life, telling me where I've been, where I am currently, and perhaps where I may be going. And God was encouraging me. So we recorded it and we played it with the video. It was so cool. And then Brandy's video came up. And this never gets old. But the pastor who was speaking over her, Jim LaFoon, 
He was saying, you keep asking God to forgive you for things that he's long ago forgot about. And I just realized we do that so much. I'm thankful that my wife was able to receive that word and say, I don't have to keep going to God and asking for forgiveness for the same thing. I don't have to because he's forgiven me before it's even left my mouth. He forgives you. Those who are in Jesus are a new creation and he forgives you. He loves you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To find out more about service times, giving, and community groups that meet throughout the week, please visit us online at luminouschurch.org.